Lori Lee is the host of the Love Your Story podcast, a podcast about the power of our personal story, how we can use our stories to empower us, take the prerogative to reframe the stories that hold us back, all while celebrating the unique, heroic journey we each take. Just a little bit ago, Lori invited me to come on her podcast to share what I've learned from those that I've brought onto my podcast. And she asks a lot of great questions throughout this interview, so I hope you enjoy. Warning, this episode contains wisdom that not even Gandhi knows about. It makes him look like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Today I'm talking with Brigham Haynes from the Consider Everything podcast, a podcast that discusses how to deal with mental health issues. Brigham, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. You know, I I got to know Lori um, from my brother and he he told me like, oh, Lori has a podcast. And uh, I recently got into podcasting and I was talking with her a little bit and I realized she she has a successful podcast. And so I was just excited to come on this podcast to learn from her to see how she does things so I can apply some some of those aspects in my podcast too. And I'm also expi- excited to talk about the the topic at hand. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Well, let's get started on the mental health. Brigham, let's talk about perfectionism. Perfectionism is the belief that if everything you do is not done perfectly, that you are unacceptable. So first of all, what is your experience with perfectionism and how it's affected you? I believe the word perfect is kind of contradictory to what perfectionism is because it doesn't make sense, you know, in this in this aspect, because if you think about it, if you're if everything has to be 100 percent correct all the time, nobody's going to be learning anything. Um, They're never going to expound on anything because they're too scared to make a mistake because perfectionism means that you never, ever fail. And the truth is, in order to perfect something, you have to fail in something. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, like with anybody like Conor McGregor, I love watching Conor McGregor because he's funny, but he's also really good at what he does. He's a UFC fighter. And he talks about how when he quit his construction job, he got the, the crap beaten out of him. He had no idea what he was doing in UFC but he kept showing up and through failure, he's become almost a perfect fighter. You would consider him pretty much if you wanted the the perfect symbol of, of fighting, you would pick Conor McGregor because he's well-rounded in everything and when it comes to fighting. So when when I think of perfectionism, what I've dealt with, I've had to realize that failure is just a truth that everybody has to deal with. And perfectionism, I honestly hate the word. I, I usually don't say hate because it's not a great word, but I hate the word perfectionism because a lot of people deal with it and it doesn't make sense because if something's perfect, you got to fail. And those two are definitely contradictory. So that's what I think about it. Well, you know, logically, you can look at perfectionism and you can say, nobody's ever going to be perfect at anything. I mean, you're just really not. And so to live up to that is, you know, it it's just a, a false conception. But then on top of that, logically you can look at it and and tell yourself okay well if i if it's also really an indicator of insecurity that i feel like i'm not good enough unless i am perfect then i just need to work on that self concept but the truth of the matter is when you're dealing with these mental issues logic doesn't have a lot to do with it and you, and approaching them logically isn't always the solution so then my question would be how do you in the interviews that you've had with people on your show in and your own personal experience what suggestions have you heard for being able to shift out of this belief and actually do it since logic doesn't generally provide the answer 
That's a great question. So I've talked with lots of experts in different, not lots of experts, but a few, because my podcast is new, but I've talked with a few experts and most of the things that they are suggesting is to just start lowering your expectations. And it takes a lot of practice. I think nowadays, especially with instant gratification through getting any information you want, people are expecting things to just happen suddenly. You know, something just the happy leprechaun comes in and fixes everything for you. It's a happy pill, right? Um, and the truth about that is, is that that doesn't happen. And with perfectionism, what they've told me is you've got to start just lowering your expectations with things and, and feeling comfortable in the moment you're currently in. You don't have to want to stay there, but it's okay to just feel comfortable where you're at for right now. You can have bigger goals in mind, but if if you only if your mind is always one focused on one goal and if anything else changes and it shifts to a different angle and you don't get to where you go exactly how you wanted it to, you're always going to feel empty-handed no matter what. So having lots of little goals is one of the biggest things they said is have little goals in mind. Don't just have one giant goal because then if you're just looking at one giant goal, then that's the only thing you're looking forward to. But if you create little goals, then you have lots of things to look forward to and to be able to feel like you achieved something. So overall, I would say just lower your expectations. It's okay to dream big, but don't make it so your life gets ruined because you don't get there immediately, if that makes sense. Of course. And how do you suggest that people adjust their self-concept in those spaces as they move along, as they are reaching smaller goals and as they're sometimes failing at those smaller goals, right? They're not reaching perfection every day. How do you adjust your self-concept to be okay with that? How do you start getting healthy with the idea that failure is acceptable and part of the process and you are not less than because of it? So one of the biggest things I've had to learn as somebody who has had to dealt with has had to deal with perfectionism is the idea that it's okay for things to not go to plan. And a lot of times people that are perfectionists, they think that everybody's watching them every single step of the way. They judge themselves really badly. They're they're always like, I could have done this, I could have done that. But the truth is, is the sad truth is most people are just trying to live their own lives. You know, they honestly are not focused on you. Um, I had to learn that the hard way. Uh, My brother, I'm not gonna go into too much detail, but he, he helped me out through this because I had this idea that everybody's watching me every single second of the day and they always are caring about what I'm doing. The the sad truth is, is even in your family, there are people that honestly, they love you, but they're not focused on you 24 seven. They don't have the time (laughs) or capability to. So just realizing that other people are human is one of the biggest um, game changers that I've had to learn is just realizing that other people are human and they have their own lives that they're living Um, And another big thing with perfectionism is a lot of people tend to get into this trap of, oh, I have to be famous. I have to be this Mm -hmm. or that. But when you start looking at what really matters, so I had to start looking at what what times in my life where I was I the happiest. Okay, was it the time when I got 50 views on Instagram or 50 likes or was it the time when I was with my family in the middle of the mountains and we're just having fun, you know? understanding and really looking back in your life and understanding what really makes you happy, right? 50 likes maybe helped you for for 10 seconds, but there's a reason why you remember those moments with your family because those were the most impactful. So looking at back in your life and figuring out what was the most impactful thing and making that the focus of your life. You can have goals and, and uh, hobbies, that's fine, but Look at what really, truly makes you happy, not what gives you instant gratification. 
I really glad that you bring that up because I think that's incredible advice. And going back to the first part, I remember when I realized, and it was very empowering and I was probably your age, but I realized everybody was so concerned about what everybody was thinking about them that nobody was actually like paying very much attention to anybody else. You know, every, and this comes back to what this podcast is about, the stories that are going on in our minds. And so many of us are so wrapped up with our perceptions and our stories that, yeah, we, we casually pass judgment on people around us, but for the most part, the guy next to you is feeling pretty insecure on his own, you know, and he's worried. He's not looking at you passing judgment. He's he's worried about what people are thinking about him. And when you when you sort of realize how self-involved everybody is, there's a freedom to that, to the realization that, you know, there are not as many people looking at you as you think there are. Yeah. Well, and you look at. You know, a lot of people want to be famous nowadays. They want to be the next Brad Pitt. They want to be the next NFL player. But what's funny is in 100 or 200 years, nobody's going to remember them. Maybe some people, but even like we'll talk about, you know, Frank Sinatra was one of the biggest people in the 40s, 50s, 60s, you name it. And I asked one of my buddies, because I sometimes like listening to his music. I was like, hey, do you know Frank Sinatra? He's like, who the heck is that? Is this like some kind of boxer or something? And I was like, no, this is a this is a guy from the 1940s who's an excellent singer, um, had a lot of hits back in the day. And so, you know, what I'm trying to say here is most of the time, the sad reality is people are so busy and there's a, you know, a lot of stuff is going through our minds. We just don't have the time to focus on everybody, including those that are the ones that people think we would be focusing on, you know, the famous people. And, and that's how I see it is, you know, we're all going to die at some point in time. Right. (laughs) And even in a hundred, if your goal is to be famous and rich and have everybody like you and everybody staring at you and admiring you in a hundred years, that's not going to happen. And even if you do become famous half the time, I don't even know who those famous people are when somebody mentions them. Well, for me, as I think of that and consider it, it makes me sad because for the most part, you know, there's only a handful of people who hit that. And so to have, especially so much of your generation feel like in order to be worthy, they need to have a TikTok following. And in order to be like, to really have lived into their highest self, they need to be popular on, on all the social media channels and have their following and be able to make money off that. And yes, that's a way of doing things, but it's not going to be the way for everybody. And it certainly is nothing about your value as a human being. And yet I feel like from a mental health perspective, a lot of people feel like they're not enough because they aren't garnering followings. And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that that's not an indicator of self-worth, that it may be an indicator of a flash in a pan, that you did something funny, that you had a great dance move, or but so quickly that fades, even with bigger things, Brigham, like I will publish a book. And I, in my career, I have written five books, most of them published by publishers and I'll publish it and it'll come out and I'll do some book signings and it'll be, yeah, this is, you know, this is great. This is a pinnacle. I've, I've met this goal, but then do you know what the next thing is? Immediately it's, what is my next goal? I have to do it again, right? To keep feeding that beast of accomplishment where, you know, and within a couple of years that book has run its <laughs> run its path and it's sold out and whatever. So it's we need to be careful with what we place the value on. Back to the original thing that you said with look at the things that bring you the deepest sense of joy, 
and meaning in your life. And so often that's relationships. And so often, you know, for me, as what you mentioned, being able to be in nature, being able to connect with people you love and adjusting your life expectations to be filled with things of meaning and joy. These are healthy mental patterns, not the, not the, I have to be perfect or I'm not lovable, not the, I have to be famous or I'm not worthy. I'm not living into my best self. So this is, this has been a great conversation. Let's move into stress and anxiety, even like a diagnosed anxiety disorder. Those can be so crippling and we hear about it all of the time, so much more lately than ever when I was growing up. So what is your personal experience with stress and anxiety and how have you found steps to manage it? That's a great question. Uh, that one's that one's quite the doozy. Whew. Uh, this is let's all let's all hop in here and we'll see how this goes. Um, so with my own personal experience, ever since I was a little kid, uh, my mom has told me many a stories of me just being a kid who um, was very curious, very uh, observant, but I also was pretty high strung all the time. I was somebody who was always had to be doing something always had to be in the moment and and it was just a hard life for me because as my parents got divorced you know I had a huge love for people growing up and that was what motivated me that was one thing that calmed me was whenever that's what my mom told me is whenever I was around family or with my brother specifically um that anxiety and the the you know the amount of focus I was having on lots of different things that went away um, I was just being myself. I was, I loved being around people. And then when my parents got divorced and I won't go into too much detail, but our dad was pretty manipulative. And so my love for people started to fade away because I didn't know who to trust. And it was really hard because my, my dad was, you know, saying lots of bad things about my mom. And so I believed him because he's my father figure. And then when, you know, his story started to crumble beneath the actual truth, it was pretty hard on me because I realized everything that I thought was true was gone. So my whole love for people just kind of dissipated. And that's kind of where my my fear for people and my anxiety and depression started to build is when when my true love of people kind of got thrown, like tore underneath me from like a rug. That was the hardest thing. And it wasn't really until, gee, when I came back from my mission um, that I really started to learn that it's okay to just start looking at your life and, and being okay with who you are specifically. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Quigley Down Under, but I liken anxiety and depression to crazy Cora. There, in, in the movie Quigley Down Under, there's a crazy Cora, okay? And I, there's a journey where Matthew Quigley, he's the main character of this movie, he has to go to this ranch because he got hired to um, originally to kill some wolves. So he was going there to kill wolves because they were eating up the flock. And so he was traveling from United States to Australia. And it was a big project. He was going to get paid. So he's like, yeah, I'm going down there. He's this big old Western dude. He's got a rifle on his back. Every every dude wants to be this guy. But anyways, that's why I love this movie. So he goes there and he has to, you know, he doesn't have a, you know, a horse or anything. So he has to get taken there by some of the, some of the workers from this ranch. So and Crazy Cora, she's, uh, I believe, I'm not sure if she's a prostitute or not, but she she definitely is somebody who, um, you know, gets gets paid for doing certain things that people shouldn't do. And these ranchers are the, you know, they like women. So they brought Crazy Cora on this journey. And 
as they were going through this journey, Quigley down under, or Matthew Quigley, he's going through this journey and she, she likes him a lot, but she's getting really annoyed or he's getting really annoyed with her because she's crazy. She just says some of the most ludicrous stuff you could ever hear. But once he starts getting to know her and getting to know her story and realize that she went through a lot of trauma, like for instance, she, while we're trying to protect her baby, she accidentally killed her baby in the, baby in the process because she was trying to cover up the mouth of the baby um, in order to make sure that the bad guys couldn't find them. But in doing that, she killed her baby. Her husband left her. So as Quigley started to look at her story and not look at her as crazy, things started to get a little better. So why am I describing this story? Well, our brains are a little bit like crazy Cora. Sometimes we don't understand why they act in certain ways. We don't understand why they they force us to do certain things. Maybe we're an addiction or maybe we're struggling with anxiety and depression in this case. And that's what I was feeling. And I had to look at myself through Matthew Quigley's lens a little bit and look at my brain from my history and realize, okay, there's a reason why I struggle with this. It's not just because I'm crazy. It's not just because, you know, I was born with bad genetics. This is because I went through, I wouldn't say my situation was that hard compared to most people in the world, but it was, it was rough on me, especially as a kid. So what I would say is, you know, growing up for me, I had to just start looking at myself with a loving perspective instead of just looking at myself as crazy. You know, and that can go with anybody who's struggling with anxiety, depression. There's a reason why you're feeling the way you are. Don't look at yourself as crazy. There's a reason, but you just got to go look for it. Self-compassion. Yeah. Okay. So when you find it, so you are suggesting that you dig through it to find that. That brings me to the question of, do you think that um, anxiety happens from chemical imbalances in the head, or do you, especially anxiety disorder that's very severe, or do you think that it happens, it stems from events in your life or maybe both? So it depends on what kind of, all right, this is where it gets kind of complicated, but I'll try to keep it brief from what I've learned from experts. So with diseases like bipolar and schizophrenia, those ones, you need medication. They have not been able to find a way for being able to, you know, improve people's lives without medication. So what they found with those two, specifically bipolar and schizophrenia, is that no matter how much cognitive behavioral therapy they go through, no matter how much they change in their lives, it works for a little bit, but they continue to relapse over and over and over again, right? Um, and what I mean by relapse is they they go back into their old ways, they start, you know, getting depressed and, you know, they just, they, their life starting start to get really hard again. Um, whereas with somebody who deals with anxiety and depression, um, it depends on, and part of what I've learned is part of it's genetics, but most of it is from trauma and from how you grew up. Okay. So there's a lot of studies that show that, you know, there was actually a study done in the Philippines where they had a, a twin, they, they had twins. Okay in the Philippines. And one was born in a rougher, you know, in rougher neighborhood. And the one was born in kind of a nicer area. And what they found, I'm not saying this is a hundred percent correlation, but what they found is that the twin from, from the, you know, in the rougher neighborhood, they had certain genes that were turned on that meant that, you know, they're having a higher level of anxiety. Whereas the, the other, the other twin, they didn't have those. So, I would say most of it is situational from what we can see right now. I don't know exactly. I'm not an expert, so I'm no master Shifu or anything. I'm not a, I don't know everything, but what I've learned from experts is that most of it is situational and trauma, specifically abuse. Abuse is one of the biggest reasons why people fall into depression. So those that, you know, are emotionally abused that go through bullying in high school, et cetera, or even from family, those are the 
usually the ones that are going to end up with, with some kind of trauma or, or are diagnosed with anxiety or depression. Okay. So I want to challenge that a little bit because what if you're a listener who has a child grown or otherwise that you know has not been abused and they're still suffering from those things? Um, could it be a little dicey to say that most of it's going to come from trauma because that labels people? Well, I, I don't I don't think we're looking at trauma at the right perspective here. Trauma can mean um, you're left alone. So even if you have a perfect life, say, okay, so maybe you say you have a perfect life. You can Trauma can happen in between you and yourself. It doesn't have to be from somebody else. So if you treat yourself poorly, you can develop those habits. Not everything has to be affected from other people. You can also do things to yourself, whether intentionally or not. So for instance, say somebody um, accidentally starts you know, you know, dissing on themselves all the time. That's just what they start to develop. So what I mean, mean by that is not that it's just that from sexual abuse, but mo- majority of the, the the situation that we're seeing where people are diagnosed, a lot of those have um, some kind of trauma within their life. So whether it's from you know, bullying. So, you know, we don't know, even as parents, my mom didn't know that sometimes I was bullied in high school. I didn't tell her some of these things because when I was in high school, you know, I, I seemed like a perfect kid, right? Like my family would talk to me, and but I wouldn't mention some of the things that were happening. So I'd challenge you a little bit on that because sometimes we think that their lives are perfect, but we don't see the full situation there. And trauma can happen in any situation, not just from from crappy circumstances. So yeah, I, like the, the analogy I brought up with the twins, I'm not saying that because they were in that crappy situation that that's what caused it. But what I am saying is those that... Um, are either self-caused or not, it's going to, it's more likely they're going to develop an, a depression or an anxiety disorder, whether, whatever situation they're in, doesn't matter okay. if they're rich, poor. So yeah. if I ask you, what do you think are the greatest causes of mental health issues? What I'm hearing you saying is that that's coming from trauma. Yeah. Trauma from both yourself. If you're, if you're, if you're teaching yourself bad habits or from addiction, right? So trauma can mean anything. It doesn't mean like you, you know, you see a car wreck or anything, or you get abused. It can mean you get into an addiction and it starts ruining your life. That's a form of trauma as well, because you see your life crumbling beneath you. Um, so what I'm saying is that anxiety and depression oftentimes can be something where whether intentional or not, it's, it's making it so it's, it's making our lives hard. Okay, um, so if, if it's coming from a trauma, then what do you recommend that people in that depressed state do? Like, do they go to get more serotonin? Do they go to get the antidepressant drugs? Or do they get a therapist to talk through whatever the trauma may have been? You know, I mean, there's got to be a balance here. I think it's probably a mixed bag, don't you? Yeah, that's exactly what I've learned from the experts is I'm not saying don't go to therapy or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying here. All I'm saying is I'm just describing where where I what I've learned from others and from experts where trauma, where anxiety and depression oftentimes stems from. But I'm not claiming that medication is wrong or false or anything like that. In fact, some of the experts I talk to, actually all of them I've talked to, have stated that there it's not so black and white. It's not like it's no medication or you have to start talking with people. Okay. You got to start talking with therapists. So the first thing I would suggest is talk to a therapist. 
So talk to somebody who you can trust and who can see your situation, which is oftentimes a therapist, and they can help you sort through what you're feeling, but also they're the ones that are going to be able to see a little bit more clearly um, while you're going through a little bit more of a struggle to see if you really need medication or not. And oftentimes it's people that are in such a deep rut, they oftentimes recommend medication. So if, if your question is, do I support medication? I, I 100% do because I'm no expert. And from what the experts tell me, they say that sometimes you do need medication. So, you know, I was, I, I was I, listening to yeah. an interview with Lady Gaga and Oprah and Lady Gaga suffers from a lot of mental health issues just on a regular basis. And she was being really open and blunt about how she struggles every day just to even function, right? But she was, she really drove home the point that there is a different cocktail of medication that's going to work for everyone. You might suffer or feel, you know, self-diagnose or feel like you suffer from the same thing she does. But when it comes down to it, you two are probably because of your chemicals and, you know, all the different things going on with you, you're going to have a different concoction of drugs that work for you. So if medication is the answer for you, then you need to know that it's not the same as your buddy who's depressed. You know, it's going to be something that you work with professionals and you test things because sometimes they don't work. Sometimes they make you sick, right? Like it's a process of coming up with the right medication. So I, what I hear you saying is Mental health is very different for everyone. Consider mm -hmm. deeply what your trauma triggers may be and start with, let's say, start with a therapist to maybe dig into some of that to help you decide if you need medication, to help you decide if there's things to talk through and to deal with. And maybe it's a combination of both for a while. Maybe you don't need it. Like it's going to be very individual, that journey, but be open to whatever that journey may hold for you. Is that accurate? Yeah. One thing I want to add as well here is that you shouldn't expect the doctors or the therapist to be your solution. Um, so I can testify this from personal experience. I went into therapy and thought, you know, therapy was going to solve all my issues. They were just going to pick through everything. And then I would just be fine after I walked out of the office. Um, same with medication. So I was, I'll kind of go into a little bit of my history here. I won't go too deep, but um, I, I thought some people thought I had ADHD. So I went into the office and I got prescribed ADHD medication. And from there, I thought my life was going to go a hundred times better. Okay. I thought, oh, this is the happy pill. It's going to work. It's going to change everything. Truth is, is those things are just little boosts. They are not meant to cure everything. Like I was saying, your brain is super complicated. There's a crazy core up there in your brain that you got to start understanding and learning how your brain works. Because oftentimes we just act on habit, right? Instinct. So what I want to preface here is I, what I would start doing from what I've learned from lots of different you know, researching is start doing the small things. Okay. So one of the biggest things that they found, whether it's cliche or not, is start cleaning your room, make your space super clean and the way you want it to be because it all everything stems from where you live if you're in your house 24 7 it's messy it's gross oftentimes that starts to go into your mind as well so i want to preface this by saying you you got to start doing the small things first you can't expect the doctors and the therapists to just solve your issues you you have to start putting work in yourself as well so one thing i want to mention as well Lori, is people that you know like i was saying before 
you could have somebody who's in the wealthiest situation ever, right? They, that everything, if you're looking at an outside perspective, they have everything together. They got money, they've got a perfect family. They've got everything that you think would be needed in order to avoid a mental health situation where it's undesirable. Well, the truth is, is when you're doing things that are destructive, you can do those things even when you're in the the best circumstances, right? So for what, instance- What kind uh, of things? Yeah. So pornography is a big one. Um, whether people want to agree with me on this or not, this is kind of a hot topic, but pornography is pretty big, uh, destructive wise, especially with families, I would say, um, you know, especially, I was actually talking to an expert, my uncle, Dr. Jeff Anderson, he's a brain neurologist. So he studies the brain. And he was saying that technology and pornography has really affected the young women nowadays. So with young women, um, they have since a lot of men are watching pornography and a lot of times the, the women are dolled up, they look perfect. And these videos, men expect that from from uh, or they're, they're assuming that that's how it really is in reality. And the truth is, is now women start thinking that in order to feel that way, they have to look they have to dress really scantily. They have to dress this way in order to get any kind of attention at all. And whether intentional or not, that's how they feel because men won't really look at them unless they, you know, they're showing a little bit of the 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 bottom side, you know, and and trying to show off more. So what I'm trying to say here is, people that you know seem to be the the, the they have the most ideal situation, they can still get into those those situations that are really bad for them. So for pornography, heroin, etc. So no matter what we're doing, people can always end up doing things that can cause them anxiety and depression. And oftentimes we'll see the core, the a connection here. I'm not saying that's a correlation, but a connection here is people that do things that are destructive, like pornography, drugs, um, whatever, whatever can be destructive, which we most of us know, those things end up leading towards anxiety and depression and feeling of, feelings of uncertainty and self-worth. So that's what I kind of wanted to mention right there. Okay, so we have issues with trauma that can be enacted upon us, um, trauma that we can see, trauma that we can create in our own head because of the stories we're creating about things of unworthiness or, you know, not being good enough because we're not perfect, all, all of that kind of thing we talked about previously. And then also behaviors and actions that are destructive and pull us into a, a dark hole that, you know, they don't add value to life and cause addictions, those types of things. So this is the whole space that we've been talking about that can create and exacerbate anxiety and depression, right? Yeah. So with, like I was saying before, a little bit earlier in this interview, so you know, with uh, the twins that were separated and one was put in a little bit of a rougher situation, the other was kind of in a, um, a little bit of a nicer situation. I'm not saying that that is correlation, right? I'm not saying that that is the effect, but usually people that are in rougher situations, it's much easier for them, whether intentionally or not to get into those things that are going to harm them in life. So if it's, you know, pornography, if it's drugs, and oftentimes, you know, you talk to anybody who's gone into those things and they do a lot of damage to your psyche. So yeah, if you're, even if you're in a rich household, you still have the chance of, you know, getting into things that aren't good for you, even if you're in the perfect situation, you know, but it's definitely a lot easier when, you know, there, you're in a situation like where, for instance, maybe you're around a lot of drugs, it's going to be pretty, e it's going to be a lot easier for you to get into those things that are more you know, destructive for you than somebody say, who's in a nicer neighborhood, that they have a loving family, that kind sure. of thing. So 
So if that's you, then the thing to do is to start taking steps, whatever that is, getting professional help or taking small steps yourself. Like you say, one, just one thing at a time to get yourself into healthy places of being so that you can work through that trauma and not have it reoccurring. Yeah. One thing I would say is pick your friends carefully, pick the people really understand, like for instance, with my dad, okay. He's my dad and I I, I want to love him and I want him to be part of my life, but I had to look at it and say this, he's my dad and he's my biological dad, but he adds nothing to my life right now. He just makes it worse. And anytime that I'm around him, it just, he makes me not like people. He makes my life miserable. So if I'm talking about you, one of the biggest things that can change somebody's anxiety, depression, this is from Dr. Jeff Anderson. This isn't from me. It's when we 21 year old kid from Utah. This is Dr. Jeff Anderson. He's been studying the brain for 20 plus years now. He's my uncle. And he says the environment is the biggest reason why people fall into depressions, anxiety, or why they continue with the coping is because their environment currently causes them to feel that way. So if you have friends and family that are causing a lot of damage to you, it's okay sometimes to be like, hey, right now, I, I I love you, but I cannot deal with this right now. I know that's a really hard step, but what I've had to realize is that there are people that want the best for you, and there are those that just are all about themselves. And if they're all about themselves, they're going to make your lives way harder than they have to be. So it, it, say you don't have a father or a mother or anything like that. Find people in your life that whether they could become a father figure that make you feel comfortable around them, that don't bring you down in certain situations, they, they always are making you, they're always honest with you. They're not going to make you feel comfortable all the time. They're going to be blunt with you, but they also love you. And they, they make you, they, they're the ones that you remember the most. So find those people that allow you to remember the the situations the most. There's that saying that the five people you hang around the most are the best mirror back to you of who you are and who you are becoming and what you're going to be like. And So I think that point is something that applies to all of us, even when you're super healthy. Like one of my goals for this year was I made a list of the people that I knew with the highest vibrational levels that were the most advanced, that were the most, um, brought the most light and life to me that I could feel their goodness. And those were the people that I wanted to actively and intentionally choose to hang around. And so I'm not dealing with anxiety or depression, but even as a healthy person, I, I'm going to take that step because it's just a smart step. So I think that's a great thing to bring up because it's, it's absolutely a place to start when you're struggling. Yeah. Well, and like you were saying, just to finish up, I know we're getting close to the end here, but just to, to add one more thing. Like I was saying, you know, sometimes people get into things even when they don't seem like they should, like they're in the perfect situation to to not be able to fall into traps. Um, but oftentimes, you know, even as parents, you know, so my mom, for instance, I know I already mentioned this, but um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but I got into a pretty heavy addiction um, when I was young. Like my mom was super loving. She tried to do the best she could. Um, my stepdad, he's an awesome dude. He's he, We looked up to him. But that didn't stop me from getting into an addiction that I didn't that I didn't realize was going to be bad until I hit like 18 or 19. I didn't realize it was going to be something that was going to start like damaging my life. So one thing I would say about this is just because somebody doesn't seem like they should struggle, even if you know them and they're super close, don't assume that they're not going through something because 
anybody can fall into this trap. Some people are less likely because of the situation there. And like those twins I was talking about, one is more likely to fall into it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the other one is not going to fall into it as well, or be the one that only falls into it. Cause there are stories of those people that have lived rough lives, but have become some of the most amazing people ever. So you never really know what's going to happen. And so trauma can happen to anybody, you know, it can happen to anybody, anybody can fall into that trap. So what I would say is if you just be, if you're judging people based on their circumstances and assuming that they don't have a mental illness, we don't know, you know, like you would have looked at me as a kid. I'm assuming most people wouldn't realize that I fell. I won't say what addiction it was, but I fell into that. They'd be like, well, what? I, well, you were struggling with that. I had no idea. So we, we don't really know people's situations. And that's the hard thing with mental health is it's so situational. You know, we can't just assume there, there are certain correlations that we can connect with, but again, there's always outliers. There's always exceptions to the rule. So let me ask you this as people who are supporting say children or loved ones who are dealing with mental illness, what are the best things that we can do to support and love, especially when they are not young children? Let's say we have adult children or an adult spouse or um, just a friend that we love. How do we be supportive in their struggles when one, we may not understand it, or two, they have their own agency. So, you know, they don't really listen to what we think, or maybe we just don't know what to say. Like, how how do we support if we aren't the ones struggling? So one of the biggest things that, you know, when I moved up here to Roy, that was the turning point in my life. It was really rough. You know, I got back home from my mission and oftentimes when you come home early from a mission, it, it can, whether intentional or not, it can be pretty rough um, culturally. Um, socially. And so when I got back home from my mission, I was feeling a lot of guilt, a lot of all kinds of stuff, all kinds of feelings. And one of the biggest things that helped me out the most was my my brother when he when I got here, he he loved me from who I was. You know, I, he was always available for me when he was like when he was available. He wasn't saying like, oh, you can call me in the middle of the night because you know, we got to sleep. There's things that you guess that you have to do. But he was there to listen to me. Sometimes I've learned that when I'm talking to somebody, say I'm going through something rough, right? If I'm just if I'm just there and talking with them, sometimes by me talking and explaining what I'm feeling, I it starts to click. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You know, now I know why I'm feeling this way, and I I find a route to how to fix that. So one of the biggest things I would say is be available to listen. Don't even say like my brother didn't say a word half the time. He just sit there and listen. And then I'd be like, oh, well, that makes sense. Why am I doing it? So w- the biggest thing that I could say to anybody is just be available because oftentimes when you try to get involved and you have no idea what they're they're experiencing, you're just going to make the situation worse. Um, I, I, you know, for instance, when I was growing up, uh, this kind of happened to me. Sometimes family members would try to step in and just give me advice, but that didn't really help. But when they would just listen to me, that was the biggest game changer is because uh, somebody who deals with a mental illness, sometimes they don't even understand themselves. So if, if they can just sometimes just talking with somebody or just having somebody in front of you and hearing what you're saying, really understanding and talking to somebody and, and thinking about what you're saying before you say it helps people to look at, okay, maybe that's not the right way to look at it. Maybe there's a different angle here. So actually that's part of the reason why cognitive behavioral therapy is so impactful. Um, Aaron Beck was the creator of cognitive behavioral therapy. He's called the father of cognitive behavioral therapy. I do an episode about him. And what that is, is basically instead of a therapy telling 
and analyzing somebody, what they do is they have the person talking to them, but then they question some of their views in life. Like, oh, does that really make sense though? Is that is that really logical? Do you think, you know, thinking that way that everybody hates you is really logical? Um, so it's almost like teaching people to question things. So honestly, biggest thing, just be there, listen, and um, sometimes be polite, but also question some, question them sometimes, but in a polite way, be like, does that really make sense though? Um, when it, but yeah, just be, just be available, listen, and allow them to, to, to understand your point of view and, and question them sometimes. Cause sometimes when you question them, it helps their brain realize, oh, maybe this is kind of stupid how I'm thinking. That's not how it should be. Thank you, Brigham. That's Brigham from the Consider Everything podcast, a podcast that discusses how to deal with mental health issues. One.